You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Respond, Following the Lord of Life. In this series from the Gospel of Matthew, we learn to be grounded in the presence, promises, and power of Jesus, finding faith to follow the Lord of Life as He makes all things new again. Hear the word of the Lord. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. My name is Travis, and I'm one of the pastors here, and today we continue uh, going through Matthew chapter 10 on the nature of Christian mission. Uh, Today we're going to consider instructions for trust. Um, So recently I um, started experiencing some pain in my elbow, which at the stage of life I'm entering into, it's not uncommon for things to hurt or sound problematic at the least. You know, it's kind of like you hear this cracking and grinding. You understand what I'm talking about, brother. Um, You hear this cracking and grinding, and it's like, you know, my wife might be like, is it? Is that your shoulder? It's like, nah, it's probably just the air conditioning. We, we used it a little too much in September, the beginning of October, so it's, it's probably fine. So I generally try to avoid medical professionals. I do that for the sake of the children, actually. I have, I'm not kidding. We have, we have two, we got two boys, so they're young. They're, they're full of energy, just not wisdom, if you understand what I'm saying, so... We have a lot of hospital visits that are going to be in our future. So my uh, youngest, to display that, my youngest son, um, he likes to dive head first into generally soft objects like beds, couches. Well, he, uh, he dove head first. He was already on the couch, but you have to dive head first if you're going to dive. So he dove head first into the arm of the couch uh, the other day. And so it was like whenever he hit... I was like, okay, well, we've got three options. One, he's got a dent in his forehead. Two, he maybe broke his nose. Or three, he's okay. Uh, Thanks be to God, it was number three. So he's okay. So for the sake of the children, because every time they do anything, I prepare for a hospital visit, I avoid medical professionals whenever I can. So when I started experiencing pain in my elbow, I got on on the YouTube to hopefully find somebody who would diagnose me. Well, I thought I was being transparent, like an authentic. You all laughed about that. I'm being honest here. So anyway, I found some guy who was a physical therapist. He didn't diagnose me. He just said, if you're experiencing pain in the elbow, actually what he said was worse than if something was wrong with me. He said, if you're experiencing pain on this side of your elbow, it's golfer's elbow. And I was like, oh, how humiliating. Like of all the sports to name pain after, it's, you know, like if it was like, well, you might be experiencing power lifter elbow or something. I'd be like, oh, that's definitely what I'm going through, you know. <laughs> but uh, it was supposedly, it was maybe golfer's elbow, which is just really a miserable uh, name to give pain. 
Um, and so he said, one of the first things you need to understand about this pain, if this is what you're experiencing, is it doesn't have anything to do with your elbow. It's either what's going on in front of your elbow or what's going on above your elbow. The pain that you're experiencing in your elbow, if you are experiencing this type of pain, doesn't have anything to do with the elbow itself. I got reflecting on that, and then I just wanted to kind of hear him tell me, you know, look, just give me some stretches. Give me something that I can do to get rid of this pain. And when uh, the guy did, feel a little better in case you're concerned. But um, I don't feel good about it being called golfer's elbow still, clearly. I keep on, <laughs> I keep on perseverating about it, if you know what that word is. Uh, it means I obsess about things. It's my wife's favorite word to describe me. But anyway, <laughs> as I'm doing now, I'm perseverating. Anyway, I was saying something spiritual. I'm preaching, right? I'm not perseverating. I'm preaching. Gosh, I lost track. Um, anyway, the pain communicates something. I misinterpreted the pain, okay? I misinterpreted the pain. I thought it was about my elbow, but it was about something else that was going on in my body because I didn't understand the complexities of the human body. And in a similar way, really, life and the pain that we experience in life, it communicates some sort of message to us. But the fact of the matter is, is we don't always understand that message that pain is indicating to us. In God's world, there's all kinds of reasons why a Christian will experience pain. Like one, you have to understand that you experience pain in God's world because God says you will experience pain. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. That's a promise. So you're going to experience trouble. You're going to experience pain. Things are going to hurt. And in fact, in this, in this thing called the Christian life, as we move forward in Christian mission, we are going to experience pain and hurt. But it can be for a variety of reasons. It's not always necessarily the pain indicates you've done something wrong. You could be experiencing pain because you have done something wrong. Some of the consequences of sin is that we experience the natural consequences and what takes place after we sin. So sometimes it's because of the poor choices that we've made, but sometimes we experience pain because of the poor choices other people have made. So it's not something that we have done, but it's something that's been done to us. Sometimes we experience pain and hurt, and we don't know why. Like, that's the book of Job. In the book of Job, nobody really knows why Job experiences hurt and pain other than just the obvious that God brought up his name. But we don't know specifically why, and Job never gets any answers, and that's teaching us that at times in the Christian life, you're going to experience hurt and pain, and there will not be an answer for it. Other times, it may be that you experience pain because God is using that pain to do something in your life or in the life of somebody else. Sometimes Christians will talk about the problem of pain or the problem of evil, and they will be like, well, what's the answer to it? And the reality is, is there are answers in the scriptures, but sometimes we're just left with questions. And part of the reason why we experience pain in the Christian life is simply because we are Christians. And we have identified ourselves by grace through faith with a, with a Christ who himself suffered as well. And so part of what it means to follow him is to follow him wherever he would lead. And sometimes where he leads is down a road that is marked by heartbreak and pain 
and laws. And that road is the means by which he accomplishes his mission. As Pastor Stephen introduced us to this last week in Matthew chapter 10, our Lord Jesus comes into the world and he has a message to bring to all people. And he invites us, he includes us in the, the announcement of this message that, that you, can, you can be a part of God's family forever if you trust in Jesus Christ. And he doesn't reserve this, this mission to just himself, and he doesn't reserve it to just a few, but he, but he hands it over. He includes all of his disciples in some way, shape, or form in the announcement that you can be a part of God's family forever, and that God is changing the entire world through, this, through his son, Jesus Christ. And in the verses before us today, this mission will be marked by persecution, pain, and loss. And that is by the design of Jesus. And so it's with all these things in mind building off of this, that the main point of my message is just this. The way forward is through. The way forward is through. That is, the way forward in the Christian life is to follow Jesus through suffering. There are three types of suffering that this passage indicates for us. The first is conflict. The second is sacrifice. And the third is discouragement. So first, conflict. Second, sacrifice. And the third is discouragement. So as Jesus begins, as he really continues this teaching in Matthew chapter 10, he makes this statement that, that really governs the rest of what he will say. Look here with me in Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. A student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his own household? Did you see there that our Lord uses three images to make a point? First, he describes a relationship as teacher and student, then as master and servant, and then as a head of the household, and then the members of the household. And then he makes an argument from the greater to the lesser, was what we would say in logic. So he makes an argument, and he says, if they called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of the household? So the master of the house gets called this, how much more? Greater and lesser. Who's the greater in the passage? Well, we're in church. The greater person is always Jesus, right? Jesus is the teacher, Jesus is the master, Jesus is the head of the household. And then he makes, so we follow the argument, we follow the line of logic, and he says, if they called the master of the house Beelzebub, that, is, that was a demonic being that they spoke about in Jesus' day. So if the master of the house is slandered, if he is verbally assaulted, if he is spoken ill of, if the master experiences that, the members of the household can expect less. They can expect as much. 
The argument is, how much more? So if he went through that, what should you expect? You should expect more based on the line of argument. Because we're not better than him. We're not above him. He is perfect, and he's always been right and kind and good. And his disciples, because they have trusted in him by faith, and that not of themselves, it is a gift of God, they are acknowledging they are not always kind and good and just. So if he experienced that, what's it going to be like for everybody else who claims they are a Christian? Then what Jesus does, so you see the logic here, then what he does, it's as if he anticipates what's going to go on in the heart when somebody hears that. And then he makes these statements in verses 26 through 31. So don't be afraid of them. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are two sparrows not sold for a penny? Yet not one of them fall to the ground outside of your father's care. Even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. So it's as if he anticipates that what's going to happen is, if somebody's going to hear that, whoa, 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 you mean to tell me that when I signed up for this Christian thing, I signed up to be potentially targeted to experience you know, some sort of, of verbal abuse and, and, and I'm to deal with antagonistic people who are going to be antagonistic to me simply because I'm a Christian? I'm not sure that I'm interested in that. I'm not sure that I'm, I want to be a part of that. It's as if he interprets the... It's as if he anticipates the objection, and he says, don't be afraid of them. So there's the command. Don't be afraid of them. How come? Well, he says, why? You don't be afraid of them. It's not as if, that's going to, it's not as if they're going to get away with that. There's nothing hidden that won't be revealed. Here, he is speaking about the day when Jesus Christ will judge the living and the dead. And all things will be made clear, and all things will be made known. We will give an account for the deeds done in the body, whether good or bad, to quote the Apostle Paul. And he says, you don't need to worry about that. So you go on and say what it is that I want you to say. Do not fear them. That, that's the most common command in the Bible. 366 commands in the Bible are, are do not fear people. There's one for every day of the year, and an extra one if you have a really bad day. And so he... He says you don't fear people. So the Christian life is the one to be the absence of fear? No, he does say that you are to fear God. And did you see his logic there? You don't fear people. And then he says, don't fear those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. So... He's saying there's a limit to the amount of pain they could bring in your life. And, and let's think about the nature of fear. Fear is partly our 
internal response to potential pain. Now, I'll try to clean that up because that's a little bit confusing. Meaning, fear is what you do. Fear is how you feel whenever you might experience pain, whenever you might do something that is painful. But fear is different than pain. The fear just looks at this situation and says, ah, this might be painful. I should avoid it. And Jesus says, truthfully, when it comes to people, the most they can do is kill you. Because it's like, well, that's, that's obviously something to be concerned about. I mean, that's, that's pretty serious. I mean, you mean to tell me that we're going to experience verbal assault and we could potentially die for this whole thing? And what is he doing? Why, why bring all this up? One of the things that Jesus does in these types of statements, he's testing, he's testing our loyalty. He's testing our allegiance. He's testing us on what it is or who it is we find to be important in life. Because then he says you need to be concerned about God because God is able to bring pain in your life now, but also in the life to come. He is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. The most, second most common topic Jesus ever talks about, it, it's not love, it's not heaven, it's not all those things that make us feel comforted. The second most common topic he ever brings up is this here, is hell. Look at Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. See how many times he brings it up. Matthew chapter 10, he brings it up. Matthew chapter 13, he brings it up over and over and over. Matthew chapter 18, he brings it up. Matthew chapter 23 and 24 and and 25, he brings it up. It's all over the place. And what's he doing? He's saying the purpose of him bringing that up is to provide an incentive for us to be loyal, for us to remain faithful, for us to be concerned about the being we need to be most concerned about because there is a limit to the kind of pain anyone could bring into your life. But just on the sheer duration just on the sheer amount of time we're talking about, there is no limit to what God could do. When I was first a Christian, I worked, I worked at a department store on a loading dock. I worked on a lot of loading docks, if you've ever heard me preach. You know, I worked at FedEx, not UPS, for those of you who remember that experience. And uh, way back when, I worked at uh, on a loading dock at um, what used to be a department store named L.S. Ayers. And I was first a Christian, and I worked with three guys in particular, the closest. And we loaded and unloaded semi-trailers. It might be why I have all this cracking and pain now, you know, <laughs> as time has gone on, it's caught up with me. But these three guys, there was they knew I was a Christian, and there was varying degrees of acceptance of my Christian faith. At one end of the spectrum, there was one guy who was openly hostile to Christianity. He didn't make any bones about it. He was openly hostile to Christianity, and he made it clear. At the other end, there was a man who was open to Christianity, and specifically my Christianity. And so we would have conversations about the gospel. And then there was a third guy... <clears throat> is kind of hateful. We'll just call him flip-flop because he used to flip and 
flop. I probably shouldn't have said that. That was hateful, wasn't it? But he, he would waver, okay? So whenever I was private, when I was working with him just privately, he was open to my Christian faith. But if the guy who was antagonistic, the guy who was hostile was around, he would flip-flop. He would also be antagonistic to my Christian faith. During that time, I was reading through the Gospels. I was just reading the Bible as much as I could. I was a young Christian. I just wanted to consume as much as I could. And, and I was very concerned about what I was reading in this book because I would hear Christians talk about the promises of God and how it brought comfort into their life. But I, I didn't understand because it's like, I'm either reading this wrong. There's something wrong here. Because when I read this book, it promises that I'm going to, you know, Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. That's a promise. It, Jesus says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. That's a promise. And so I'm reading stuff like this, and I become overwhelmed with fear. I become overwhelmed with fear because I'm like, if this God keeps his promises, this kind of stuff's going to happen to me. And so I would just be afraid. Be afraid what was going to be said. You know, is it going to cost me my life? Is it going to cost me my family? What's it going to cost me? And just over and over and over. I was terrified. I would be paralyzed. And then I'm working there with these guys. One day in particular, the guy who would flip-flop and the guy who was really antagonistic, they really, they really took it out on me that day. They started mocking me for how much I attended church. They started, they started mocking my Christian faith in general. They, which it's, it's funny if it wasn't heartbreaking. They, they started mocking the Christian sexual ethic of chastity, which just for the record, I never walked in and said, you know, this is what you must do to be saved and started talking about Christian chastity or something like that. But they, they understood this was a barrier for them to follow Christ. They're not going to give up on their own personal pleasures to follow this Jesus guy. And one of the guys, actually the guy who wasn't the most antagonistic, but the guy who flip-flopped, I remember when we were working on the dock, and it was kind of in the morning, it was in the late morning, so we're probably talking about 9, 10, 10 a.m., he got right up in my face. I mean, as close to me as you can get without touching me. And he just, he just started giving it to me, just started mocking my Christianity, saying all kinds of things. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit brought to my remembrance something that I'd been reading in Matthew, actually. Jesus makes this statement in Matthew 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when men say all kinds of manner evil against you falsely for my name's sake. For great is your reward in heaven. And so he was right in my face and he said that and the Spirit brought that to my memory and then he walked off. And it was tense. It was tense on the dock for a while, but then my shift ended. I mean, I, it wasn't the best experience of my life, but I mean, I think I'm okay. I've got golfer's elbow, which just bothers me more, to be honest. <laughs> There's, that's, that's what perseveration means. You just keep on obsessing about things. And here's what I 
came away from that. There's a difference between being afraid of what you're going to go through and then going through it. Because the fear causes you to look at pain you haven't experienced and say, oh, no, I can't do this. No, 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 I've got to avoid this. But then the experience of it is completely different. And for me, in those at that time, the fear of it was far worse than just having a couple of guys who I didn't really get along with anyway say some hateful things to me for a certain period of time. Let me ask you, how do you manage your fear of people? What do you do to manage your fear of people? Do you blend in? Is it one of those that it's like, hey, I've just got to blend in. Nobody notices me. Nobody, I don't draw attention to myself. I'm just going to manage my fear of people and what they may or may not do by blending in. Maybe you manage your fear of people by trying to control them. So you're going to make sure that you're in charge. You're going to make sure that you're always giving and you're always serving so that, that you keep them at bay so that they can't hurt you. How do you manage your fear of people? There's something we learn here, as I've been saying over and over. There's a difference between being afraid of something and actually going through something. And, and the fact of the matter is, is when you look in the Scriptures, you look in the New Testament about the subject of persecution and suffering, you will often see that it is typical that the announcement is, do not be afraid of it. Why? Well, because God knows that, one, that's going to be our heart's posture initially, but also the fear of it is completely different than the experience of it. We learn that that's different. And so how do, what is the antidote to being afraid of people? The antidote is the fear of the Lord. So let's make it our prayer. God, say, you know, say with the psalmist in Psalm 86, verse 11, Lord, unite my heart to fear your name. I can't do this on my own. To follow Jesus in mission means that some people just aren't going to be happy about it. Some people are just not going to want to have anything to do with you just because you belong to Jesus. And that's part of his purpose, for there to be conflict. Second, sacrifice. So as he continues, he tells his disciples not to be afraid, he makes this statement. Look here with me in verses 34 through 36. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. So Jesus continues, and, and not only is there going to be statements that are made, not only is there potentially for some would be threats on their life, but he he gets very personal, and he actually reveals one of the primary sources of persecution, suffering, and pain for a Christian, and that's the family. There are three sources of persecution in the New Testament. First is a human government. And, and remember, we are experiencing, we may experience the things that Jesus experienced. Did Jesus experience persecution from human governments? Yes. Herod the Great when he's a toddler, Herod the Great seeks to persecute him. 
would human governments turn on Christians, it is by far and away the most bloody and the most vicious. The second source of persecution in the New Testament would be other religions. So again, Jesus experiences this. The Jewish religious leaders turn on Jesus. But the third, and I would argue the most personal and the most personally devastating, is families. Jesus says, don't think I've come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. Now, Christians know about the statements, the mission statements of Jesus. And these are often some of his most famous and most, most comforting. Um, Matthew 20, verse 28 Jesus says, for the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right? Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save what? The lost. Or another famous one, John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Very comforting statements. All speak about his mission. Those are probably the most popular Probably the most neglected is this one. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me Jesus is going to come and we're going to have problems with our family members? I thought he's the prince of peace. I thought he'd come to bring peace. It's a minister understanding the type of peace he'd come to bring. Jesus come to secure your peace with God. He'd come to bring peace after the resurrection of the dead uh, into the earth. It's just the time in between it's going to be difficult. Here he's talking about non-Christian family members. A Christian should expect to experience conflict with non-Christian family members. And that's by design. One of the things that we learn, here's, if you are a Christian, and maybe you're the first Christian in your family, you need to know that, uh, that if, if they turn on you or there's distance or now it's not the same between you and your parents as it was before, that's by design. It doesn't mean that it's not hurtful. To be honest, whenever pain comes from the family because you're a Christian, it's the most devastating because they know your faults. They know your failures. <clears throat> Depending on, on what your situation is, they may control your job. They may control your inheritance. You may give up so much to following Jesus relationally with your own household. And so if you're new to the faith, or you haven't been a Christian for very long, and, and, and people are starting to separate themselves from you who, who are, are not Christians, but you're a Christian, I want you to know that's normal Christianity. That's, that's what is to be expected. It doesn't mean you don't need to examine yourself. Examine yourself. It may be that they're not getting along with you because you're difficult to get along with. And that would be something you confess to God and ask for their forgiveness. But it just might be that they're not getting along with you anymore because now there is this man standing in between you and them. And his name is the Lord Jesus. And now the relationship's never going to be the same. And so it's as if Jesus anticipates this. Wait a minute, I don't want to be involved in this. And then he makes these statements. Verse 
37, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So he, he cuts it off at the pass, this idea of like, well, you know, I'm going to try to follow Jesus and then get along with the family, get along with the neighbors, get along with my friends, get along with whoever in such a way that, that I can maintain both relationships. So I'm going to follow Jesus and hold on to this relationship over here. And Jesus says, if you do that, you can't have me. There's a, man, there's a man who came to faith that I know. And shortly after he came to faith, he was married. His wife did not come to faith. And within a month, maybe a little bit longer, you know, a short period of time, his marriage started to unravel immediately. Before he was a Christian, they had a stable enough relationship. But after he became a Christian and he started doing this Jesus thing, the words of Jesus proved themselves to be true. And before too long, he was out of his home and his wife was moving on with another man. But that's by design there's going to be sacrifice. And if you're a Christian and you've experienced that, that is normal Christianity. You have experienced normal Christianity. Our pain can communicate to us, well, if, if everybody doesn't like me and nobody's getting along with me, maybe it's all my fault. And there may be a place to say, what have I done wrong? But the, the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus Christ separates people. And he gets in between us and everybody. You can't relate to anyone without moving, without relating to them through the person of Jesus Christ. It's not possible. Whenever I became a Christian, I invited members of my family to my baptism. And both sides of the family were livid about me getting baptized as a Christian. One side of the family, my father's side of the family, most people weren't Christians. The one who were Christians are legit, were legit Christians. But the others, they, were, they, they didn't believe in the Trinity, they were, and they wouldn't have anything to do with my baptism because I was being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. They wouldn't have nothing to do with it. They made it quite clear. My cousin, who was, I mean, he was sober enough to talk to me, but he was very drunk at the time, was making it very clear that he wouldn't have anything to do with my ridiculous religion. Now, that's probably reflective of dysfunction on multiple levels. And on the other side of the family, they're from North Africa in the Middle Eastern region. They understood what baptism meant. Point of no return. And so the statements were, how could you betray your family like this? This is normal Christianity. 
to sacrifice. Let's be a church that when somebody goes through this normal aspect of the division and the isolation and the separation that can come, let's be a church that comes alongside that person. Somebody gets baptized, let's, let's be the type of church that says, you know what, They're prob- it's probably going to be rough at some point in time for them. It may not be immediately. But in the course of time, it's going to get rough. So let's be there for them and encourage them and say to them, hey, I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. If there's something you need, you let me know. Because it won't take too long. It didn't take too long for me to lose all my friends when I first became a Christian. I had some people who were interested in what happened to me. And then I had others who were just not interested anymore. I used to be so much more fun than I am now. And then third, discouragement. So the pastors and I were sitting down not too long ago with a gentleman who's a friend of Sojourn, served the Lord for a long time, served a ministry for a long time. And he was speaking into our life. We were kind of talking to him about conflict and talking to him about care and how we deal with certain things in our church. And he's got a lot of years serving the Lord and a lot of years serving churches. And so he was speaking into our life. And so he was asking questions like this. How do you deal with people who lie about you? How how do you deal with people who say these kind of things? How do you deal with just ongoing division and conflict? And so he would speak to the subject. One of the things he said was, he said, you know, specifically with dealing with with the, the verbal stuff, he said, you know, you've got to know the truth. You've got to know the truth about yourself. And then he quoted from Jesus, right? You will know the truth and what? Truth will set you free. And then he said something that's, that's probably as true of a statement as I've ever heard. He said, and you need to watch over your soul. You need to take care of your soul. Because he said, because if discouragement settles in, it's like a cancer. And I thought to myself, that is as true of a statement as I've heard. Now, what is discouragement? Discouragement is that, that response that we have to ongoing conflict. Discouragement is that it's those questions. For myself, it's those questions where I'm trying to serve somebody or I'm trying to do something. I'm trying to accomplish something and nothing's changing. And eventually the question becomes is, is this worth it? How come you're not making an impact? How come you're not making any difference? How much longer can you keep doing this? Do you you really want to keep on going? Those are the kind of questions that discouragement asks. And what happens is, is when discouragement settles in, then all you see in front of you is just more and more evidence that it's not worth it. You're not making an impact. It doesn't make any difference what you do. And at times, what you see in front of you confirms those questions. And Jesus, as he goes through Matthew 10, he is talking more often than not about the challenges and the difficulties and the pain and the persecution, all of this that goes into mission, 
All of it that goes into moving forward and announcing that Jesus Christ is Lord and, and changing the way you live your life and trying to serve people and trying to give your life to people. He brings it up over and over and over the challenges. Now, how come he does that? Is like this just an evidence that Jesus doesn't know how to inspire volunteers or something? He didn't go through non-for-profit training? But he's doing that to prepare them, to cause them to press forward, and he makes this statement in verses 40 through 42. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose his reward. You see there what he says. He says, look, when you give up your life, when you deny yourself and you take up your cross and you follow me, you're going to find your life. So there Jesus is indicating we can't do any of this stuff on our own. Like, we have to give our life away. But if we give our life away, we get his life. And he says, that person who has become my disciple, they will become, they are transformed into my representative, into my ambassador, into my witness. So, so when a Christian comes into any one place, they come with the presence of Christ with them. They come with the authority of Christ. Jesus says if they receive you, they receive him. And if they receive him, they receive God Almighty. So there, when a Christian comes and they serve another person, they come with, with something that the rest of the world doesn't have. And that is the authority in the presence of Christ in any one situation. And so the impact is made on that situation, not because of the, not because of the intelligence or the, um, the innovation or the, the power of the Christian. The, the impact is made because of the presence of Christ, because of the authority. And, and what is it that they will do? He says, look, if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. What does that mean? Well, in the New Testament, there are two basic kinds of services. There's speaking service and there's, and there's service service, I guess. That's a non-theological way of putting it. But there's speaking and non-speaking gifts. And Jesus says, if you receive a person who has a speaking gift, then you're going to receive all of their rewards. So the person who has the ministry to where maybe they speak and people come to faith or they speak and people are encouraged, they speak and people are taught the Bible, when you welcome them, Every person that they've impacted for the sake of Christ, you share in that. But it's, it's not only the person who has a ministry that gets attention, like the prophet. He says, if you receive a righteous person simply because they're a righteous person, if you minister to another Christian, you guys are connected in such a way that everything that person does in the name of Christ that bears fruit, it's on you, so to speak. You share in that reward. How much of a sacrifice do you have to make? Like, how much of a sacrifice do you have to make in this, in this thing called mission? Do you have to give, you have to give money? You have to give $1,000? Do you have to give 40 hours a week? How much do you have to give to share in this mission and all the rewards that come along with it? Jesus said, do you have a cup of water? Can you spare a cup of water? Because if you can spare a cup of water, you can participate 
not only in God's mission, but in all the people who come to faith, in all the lives that are transformed, in all the bodies that are healed from a healing ministry. You participate in all of that if you can spare a cup of cold water. So is it worth it? We give our life away. We give ourselves away. It is our earthly loss, but we gain so much in this thing called mission. We shouldn't be surprised by that because that's why we're Christians to begin with. It, our Lord Jesus gave away his life. Why? So that we could gain all of heaven and all of its benefits and all of its resources. That's what the word teaches, and that's what's in the Lord's Supper. You see, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and after giving thanks, he says, this, this bread represents my body, and it's broken for you. He gave it all away for your sake. And in the same way, he took a cup of wine, and after giving thanks, he says, this cup is the cup of the new covenant sealed by the shedding of my blood. Take, drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. For every time you eat from this bread and you drink from this cup, you announce the Lord's death until he returns. Our Lord Jesus went through the cross so that we could have God himself. If you are a Christian, I, I invite you to come forward. After I get done praying and the musicians begin playing, there will be stations throughout the auditorium. Come, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the juice of the wine, whichever one your conscience permits. The wine will be marked by a piece of twine. And there will be gluten-free elements to my left and to your right if that will serve you. If you're not a Christian, I ask you not to participate in this time. But take into account who Jesus is. What kind of man would make statements like this? And, and how should that impact your life? And will you, will you cast yourself on him and trust him by faith? Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.